We are in the second trimester. You should have lesson two in front of you. Is that not correct? And it should read understanding versus obedience. It sounds like a UFC fight's about ready to happen right now. Understanding in one corner, in the blue trunks. All right, understanding versus obedience. And this week, um, I really, I'm going to need you to zero in. You know, I, I do my best when we speak and when we teach uh, to tell stories and give illustrations, and illustrations are like windows, hopefully, that kind of illuminate certain concepts. You'll be, you'll be glad to know that next, next Wednesday, my wife will be teaching, and I will assure you, you'll get stories. So she can tell the good stories. And... Uh, uh, she's going to be teaching you a great lesson next week, so uh, uh, you won't want to miss. In fact, next, next week may be the highlight lesson. I'm not, I'm not kidding when I say that. In all seriousness, it may be the highlight lesson. But I need you to zero in, though, this week because I'm going to lay down a little, a little foundation, and it's going to be more conceptual. Um, but next week is going to be really practical, so it's almost like you get part one and part two or A and B. And so if, if it's at all possible, if you're here tonight, make sure you're here next week because I believe you'll get a lot of illumination on what we're trying to communicate. And uh, let me also say this, that, that whenever we teach in this area of authority, I have learned through the years that um, if you only hear one lesson, you're going to be messed up. You, 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 you got to hear the whole thing. If you don't... If you don't get the whole thing, something's going something's to be not quite right, and, and it's either going to produce fear, uh, you're going to have a warped understanding, or it's going to leave you with just a perspective that's not correct. And so it, in, it, it should be with the, with the Word of God, no matter what area it is, you, you ought to get the whole counsel of God. But I can almost assure you that if you don't get the whole counsel on this one, um, it can really, really mess you up, because whenever you deal with authority, you're not only dealing with with all of us and the concept of how we come under authority wherever we find it in the earth. We're not just talking about church. We're talking about your boss. We're, ta- we're talking about when you go shop at Publix and you run into the manager. I mean, we're talking, we're, we're talking authority in the earth. We're talking about police and judges and, and governmental authorities. And so, you know, we could list teachers and all sorts of people who are in authority. And, 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 if you don't understand both what it means to be in authority and under authority, if you don't understand both sides of the equation, what you'll get is a very warped uh, concept. Because is it not true if, if husbands do not understand that they are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, and wives also do not understand that they are to submit themselves unto their husbands as unto the Lord, if one of those gets out of kilter, it kind of ruins the relationship, doesn't it? If both of them are working like they're supposed to be working, the relationship usually goes pretty well. But if one of those is working at 90% and the other one at 10%, then what we're going to find is a dysfunctional relationship. So it is in this area as well. And that is if you don't get the whole enchilada, you're going to have heartburn. This is one time you want to eat the whole thing. If you don't eat the whole thing, you'll get the heartburn, all right? So... Stick through it. There may be things that are, are triggering questions, but I, like I said, I can almost promise you before these 10 weeks are done, 
I, if I were a betting man, I would bet I'll answer your question, all right? And if not, I promise you we'll find time and we'll field it. And we left last week talking in this area about really the importance of authority and how we don't have any problem with direct authority, amen? I mean, if Jesus speaks to us, I got no problem. I mean, if God wants to talk to me, I got no problem with authority running this way. My problem is when authority runs this way. I got problems. Because, because and I'm the same way as you are. I mean, I've been, I've been under authority, and I've looked people in the eye, and I'm just not talking about out there in the world, because at, at some level, we can understand that if the world acts like the world, that's not, that shouldn't be a surprise to us. But it's when you hang around Christians, or in the church, and then you aren't getting this whole authority thing, and, and then that's when it becomes potentially wounding, hurtful, aggravating, frustrating, or whatever adjective you happen to be experiencing at that particular moment. And so I love it when God's talking to me and my heart's to obey, and, and that works out really well, but most of the time, I'm gonna say it again, most of the time, when God confronts us, he confronts us through earthly authority. He set it up that way. Otherwise, why would he have put in like 60 plus one another passages, love one another, you know, be kind to one another. I mean, all this stuff is happening one to another. So as we're dealing with all of this, I'm obviously dealing with what it means to come under, but I will get to what it means to be over as well. First Samuel 15, I'm going to have to read some verses here. They're rather lengthy, but they're great stories, so listen carefully. First Samuel 15, beginning with verse 10, Saul is king of Israel, and he's been king for some time now. And y'all remember, Saul started out really well. Listen to what's happening. 1 Samuel 15, beginning with verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. You know you're in trouble when God says he regrets something. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments, and it grieved Samuel. And he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. Now there's some clues in here as to what's going on in Saul's heart, isn't there? When you're setting up monuments to yourself, we got a problem. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And the commandment of the Lord at this time was that when Israel fought with the Amalekites, the word of the Lord was you were to utterly destroy everything. In other words, it was one of those Old Testament commands that we all kind of trip over when God said, I don't want to leave anyone living. Everything's destroyed. Everything's burned. Raise it to the ground. Don't save anything. Utterly destroy means utterly destroy. How many of you know utterly and partially, even in Hebrew, would not match? You don't have to be a scholar to figure that one out. But he comes and he says, I performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen, have I, which I hear? In other words, he's saying, if you, were, if you utterly destroyed everything, I ought not be hearing these sounds. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people. Blame game. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Now, isn't that great? Now, I, I'm really, the reason I'm talking as I go along, because you need to get this. Because what Saul's saying here is this. He's saying, listen, 
yeah, well, okay, okay. We didn't utterly destroy everything. We kept some of it, but we're going to use it for the church. Now, I know we disobeyed you, Lord, but understand we're going to do something spiritual with it. I understand it wasn't your directions, but you don't understand. But, you know, I felt like this would be a real good use for these things. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. Now, the literal Hebrew, that means shut up. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night, and he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel, and did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Now hear me, Saul kept some of the spoil in order to do something spiritual with it. He was going to use it for God, and God calls it evil. Are you, are, now, you're, you're processing this, right? You're getting a handle on this. All right. And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. Now, now, this is where deception enters in, because if you utterly destroy everything, why do you bring an Amalek, you know, or Agag, or whatever his name is? You shouldn't even have been bringing him back. But yet he says, I've done what the Lord said. He said, I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Now listen to this. These are the important verses right here. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. In other words, he says, he said, he says you, can, you can think of all sorts of spiritual things to do and you can reason your way out of this, but, but your reasoning is not as good as obeying. Don't, don't you, don't you, the Lord's saying, don't you second guess. Now understand, hear me, you do understand, this is coming through a person, right? In other words, it wasn't like Saul got a vision of this. But there's this man named Samuel who's standing toe-to-toe with him, and he's beginning to speak into his life, and he's saying, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Now listen, he says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Now, let's, let's run on. I spent a lot of time getting to here. We're going to move quickly. The key to success in the kingdom of God is obedience. Even young children, is it not true, would have an easier time in their households with their parents if they just practiced obedience. It's interesting, you know, military service, I I was not in the military, and I've often thought back and wished that I'd spent some time in the military uh, because I just feel like there might have been some things that probably I could have learned quicker had I been in the military. And, And it is esteemed, and it should be esteemed. But truth is, I'm not sure everybody would like the rigor of military life. Boot camp is required, 
in order that we break self-reliance and we learn obedience to the officer who's in command. In other words, and those of you who are in the military, you know how this works. That's why you're broken in boot camp and you're rewired. It's because when you're in the middle of a battle, and whether it's a, a lieutenant or a captain or a platoon sergeant, and again, I don't, I don't understand the hierarchy, but who, if whoever is in charge looks at his platoon or division or, or squad, and he says, we're going to take that hill, you don't need five guys going, why? I don't know. I don't know if I like that hill. I mean, could you imagine? Now, you all know how it works in military you know, circles is that you've got some generals and they're in this room and they're, they're, they're strategizing and looking at the big picture and, and they're seeing everything and then they give their command to who's ever next, to colonel and colonels go to captains and you know how it works. It kind of flows down the chain of command until it gets to the place where, where a lieutenant, let's say, looks at his group and he says, our orders are to do this and everybody looks and goes, I don't know if I like that plan. You go, well, what, what, are you, what, are you, what are you talking about? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know that it fits into my plan. And they're saying, well, could you elaborate on that? Well, I don't know. I, you, and you, it would be chaos. It would be anarchy. And think about it in those, in those contexts. In that context, the person who says, uh, I just don't know, does he have the big picture? Has he seen the whole plan? Does he know what the enemy's doing? No. But how many of you know his life is dependent on whether he obeys or not? And there are moments even in battle that orders come out that, that you can't sit there and explain to your squad why it's important in the grand scheme of battle. Could you imagine being in Afghanistan right now and all the squads and platoons and divisions and looking at them and saying, you know, every 15 minutes you're having to look and saying, now the reason we're going into this city and going door to door is because, and I, I can't even... That is such a far concept from anything we face in our day-to-day -day life. So, so we have to respond. Many Christians struggle with victorious life because they've not understood the battle between understanding and obedience. They've not understood this. And Saul really is our textbook case of a man who starts out well, but he loses everything because he couldn't get to the place of just obedience. And, and Scripture says his root problem was rebellion and witchcraft. Now, it's interesting because Saul didn't get here overnight. There's really a great story that I don't have time to tell you in 1 Samuel 13. Sometime you'll have to read that story. It's an interesting story. 1 Samuel 13, Saul had just become king, and he'd only been king for two years. And he's about ready. I don't know if he's going into battle or something that's about ready to take place. But Samuel had told him to wait and not sacrifice until he shows up. And when Samuel shows up, he would sacrifice, and then everything would be put in order in order for Saul to go and move forward and do what it was that he was supposed to be doing. Well, Saul was waiting for Samuel, and Saul gets impatient. Samuel doesn't show up when Saul thinks it's time to show up. And so what happens is, instead of waiting for Samuel to do the work of sacrifice, Saul decides to do the sacrifice himself. I guess he'd watched Samuel do it so many times that he knew what to do, and hey, we can just get the show on the road. 
The problem was when Samuel shows up and he sees all of this has taken place, the scripture says the Lord was displeased. Now, listen to me very carefully because there's a, there's a great lesson that could come out of these passages, and, and it's, the, it's the concept of jurisdiction. That when we talk about authority, and we'll come to this concept again later, and that is authorities don't have authority in every area of life. A lot of times they have jurisdictional authority. For instance, I, I'm the shepherd of this church, and I have authority over what goes on in this church. But that doesn't mean I get to step into everyone's life and tell them what grocery store to go buy their groceries at. Because that's not my jurisdiction. I have certain jurisdictions. Even the police have certain jurisdictions that they cannot cross unless they get a search warrant from a judge that allows them to cross their jurisdictional lines. So here we're finding a great story because Samuel had a jurisdiction and Saul had a jurisdiction and Saul's problem was is that he was going to step out of his jurisdiction and he was going to do things that he had no authority over. Now listen to me again. He was doing something spiritual. He probably did it right. But when he did it out of order or out of jurisdiction, it became evil in the sight of the Lord. It happens in church all the time. I'm just going to use, I mean, I'm not being difficult or tough, but I can't tell you how many times, you know, a pastor, a pastor, even this pastor, you'll have a, you'll have a word from God and you're, you're leading in a certain direction and someone will come up and they'll decide they don't want to do it or they're going to do something else or they're going to do it on their own time or they're going to do this or they're going to do that. And I'm just telling you, you're out of order. Now, now I, I understand we have... We have so been ingrained in America with the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. I want you to listen to me. I believe, this is what I believe. In fact, I was talking to a group of pastors. I was actually teaching the lesson today to a group of pastors on our national phone call. And what we've kind of done in the church is, is that we've, we've turned the priesthood of the believer into everybody's in charge. Because since I can hear from God and this is most people I hear from God probably better than pastor does, then why shouldn't I just do whatever? You see, I, I, I'll just admit this. There are, there are people who are probably more spiritual than I am. But your spirituality does not trump authority. I mean, I go into churches all the time and speak, and when I go into that church, I can tell you right now that I have more maturity than most of the pastors. I, I, I have more revelation than most of the pastors. I probably am more spiritual than a lot of pastors I go see. But I'm not in authority in that church. Are you following me? So I just can't come in and decide I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and you just live with it. You see, I'd be, number one, I'd be out of my jurisdiction, and number two is I, 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 I'd, be, I'd be functioning out of the order that God has set up. And so here in our text, we find Saul stepping over the line. He was told to utterly destroy the Amalekites. And uh, hear me now, when he got that instruction, he wasn't getting it this way, was he? He was getting it this way. And you may say to yourself, well, wait a minute, uh, that doesn't make sense to me. In fact, I can tell you that's exactly what Saul was saying. He was saying, why waste perfectly good animals? I know the Lord told me to destroy everything, but, he, I mean, we could feed our armies with these animals. We could, we could uh, uh, use these skins of these animals and, and make uh, shoes or use the leather and, and, and make, uh, you know, belts or, or any type of uh, maybe armament or weapons. 
I mean, why think about, think about what would go through your mind as you're looking back at all these animals. You could make a great, reasonable case as to why waste all this stuff? Why waste the spoil? I mean, we're going to get gold, and I mean, we got to finance this thing somehow, and yet God's telling me to utterly destroy it. I don't think God's really thought this one through very well, and so I'm going to help God out on this one, and instead of utterly destroying everything, I'm, I'm going to keep some of it back because it makes more sense to do it that way. Now, Saul had the same problem a lot of us have, and it's delivered out of the flesh. And this is what it is. I will obey as long as it makes sense. I'll obey as long as it's reasonable. And I'll obey as long as it fits my agenda. Now, again, I understand all of us would go, well, yeah, yeah, sure, 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 sure. But wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what happens when God works with you this way? It's interesting. I can't go through all of this, but I'll just jump down. Miriam. I was using Miriam as an example earlier today on that phone call. She had reasons to be upset with her brother Moses. As you'll recall, Moses had married, the Bible says, an Ethiopian. It's a Cushite, I believe, is the original Hebrew. But he married, when he married Zipporah, he was marrying, it was an interracial marriage. It, one, was, one was Jewish and, and, and one was African. And I mean, they're both olive-complected. The pigmentation would just be a, a little varying of degree. But here, Miriam, in fact, you have your first issue of sort of a, a racial tension that's taking place because Miriam didn't like the fact that her brother married this Ethiopian and, and, and she didn't think it was right. She didn't think it was in order. She had reasons to murmur and complain. She had reasons. And yet is it not interesting that when she did that and when God descended, leprosy struck her. Korah had reasons, two chapters or three chapters later. They had reasons to challenge Moses and cause an uprising. They finally had reached the place where they said, Moses, you're not any more holy than we are. Why, why do you think just, you know, you're not the only one that can get before God. We can hear from God too. You put your pants on the same way we put our pants on. I mean, who are you? And yet their disobedience opened up the earth. People do this all the time. And, and listen to me, this is why... This is why we've never become, and I'm going to talk Sunday, not on this subject, but I'm going to use the text out of Ezekiel about the army of God. You know why the church has never become the army of God? It's because we always have to have a reason. I mean, I'm, I really, I'm not kidding. A man of God cannot stand up and just say, I've heard from God, let's take the hill, because you'll have three-quarters of them going, I think we need to table this. And... Let's talk about it, and, and, and let's, let's work it. I, listen, folks, I've been through a denominational system. I know how it works in a boardroom. You'll get a vision from God, and everybody wants to fix it. They want to make it more palatable. They want to make it more reasonable. They want to make sure all their questions are answered. They want to make sure that there's absolutely nothing out there that could snag them. And you understand why there's no power? It's because God doesn't ask us to figure it out. He asks us to obey. Are you following me? If you got to, if you, let me, if, if Peter had tried to figure out stepping over the boat onto water, he'd have got wet a lot quicker. God does not move once you understand. He moves because we obey. Abraham, in order to receive an inheritance, went to a land that he knew not, not knowing where he was going. Try that verse on. Hebrews 11.8. 
The Lord never says, well, well, as soon as you understand something, I'll move. That's never in the Bible. The Lord says this, when you obey me, then I'll move. God blesses your obedience. He doesn't bless your reasoning. No, he doesn't. There's never been a moment, let's be honest, there's never been a moment as you reason things that really God was in it. In fact, I'd be willing to bet, again, if I bet, that the minute you reasoned, you got double-minded. When you were better off if you'd have just heard from God or heard whatever the instruction was that you knew to be from a credible voice of God and you just said, I'll do it. I bet you would have found God at that moment. Isn't it interesting? Noah obeyed God and built an ark when he never seen a stitch of rain. Could you imagine? God says, I'm going to send rain on the earth. And Noah would have had to have gone, what's rain? Can you imagine figuring that one out? Now, wait a minute. You're going to send water from the sky. It's never happened before. And it's going to be so much that I need this big boat. You know, Lord, maybe if we could cut the size of the boat down to one half. And maybe if we could, you know... Let's just let the reptiles go. I didn't much like them anyway, and really, you probably made a mistake on them in creation anyway. And no, no, he obeyed by building an ark. Gideon did not understand why you'd whittle an army of 30,000 down to 3,000, then down to 300. And yet he did, he obeyed, and that's when he won the battle. Jehoshaphat may not have understood why it was that the prophet said to send the singers in front of the army before you go into battle to fight the Midianites, but he did it, and when he did it, the battle was won. Joshua probably didn't understand marching seven times around Jericho and shouting the seventh time after being quiet six times around. And yet he obeyed, and out of that the walls came down. Romans 11.34 says, who has known the mind of the Lord and who is his counselor? Now, obedience does not mean you have to understand everything. In fact, faith is when you obey without understanding it at all. Do you understand? That's faith. Faith isn't that you got it figured out. Faith is when you're going, forsaking all, I trust him. It's, I'm going to trust you, Lord. There are lots of things I don't understand. But you, and there are things you don't understand, but you just do it and never think twice about it. I do not understand computers. I mean, it, I mean, it doesn't take much to exhaust computers. Do you know, for those of you that don't know, I just put up a Legacy Church Facebook page. I mean, I was, I was dancing around the office. Going, I got that thing uploaded. Hallelujah. You don't know how long it took me to upload that thing. I had 10 pictures of the same thing uploaded in my Facebook account because I kept pushing the button over and over again, not knowing how it was working. So then I had to go back and figure out how do you delete those things. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand computers, but I use it. I'd be willing to bet that you'll go home after this service is over and you'll walk into your house and you don't know a stitch about electricity. You don't know anything about breakers. You don't know ohms, wattage, amps. You don't understand anything, but you're going to flip that switch and you're going to expect those lights to come on. That's, that, you don't consternate over that, do you? We came back from the doctor. Trace and I did, and he gave us a prescription or gave her the prescription, and she went and filled it, and she went home and just popped it in her mouth, and she just took it. Isn't that crazy? 
Isn't that crazy? I mean, think about that. Crazy. Some man told her to stick a pill in her mouth. You do it all the time. You do it with your ibuprofens and your, your acetaminophens and your dry your nose up stuff and just, you don't know anything about that. You didn't, have, you didn't have to go to college and get this PhD in understanding why that works in your body. You just, you, just, you just do it. But God forbid a preacher or a pastor were to say, this is the way the Lord is going, let's go. You suddenly stop and go, we, 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 we need to talk about it. <laughs> well, we better vote on the will of God. Now, I want you to hear me. That doesn't mean that that alleviates a leader from communicating. Now, you see, I'm dealing with under-authority. I haven't, I haven't got to over yet. See, I'm not saying I don't, even as a, as a church leader, that doesn't mean I don't have a responsibility to, to communicate with people. Sure, I have a responsibility. I, I have responsibilities. Sure, I do. I'm not dealing with that side yet until we get th- this side dealt with. Sure. Sure, it's easier. I'm sure your kids find it easier when they understand certain things. But there are times at certain ages, you just look at them and say, don't touch the oven when the door's open. You'll get burned. And some of your kids, they just went, anyway. Why? Because it didn't make sense to them at that moment. Now, this is gonna, you're going you're gonna to run across this in every area of your spiritual life. You gotta understand, if you have to understand everything before you obey, you're gonna miss the miraculous. I didn't understand tithing when I started it. It didn't make sense to me. How can you give up 10% of your money and God's gonna make your 90% go further? That has never worked in my budget yet. But I'm telling you, I paid all my bills. I've not missed any meals. God has blessed my household. All I can tell you is it works. Is that not true? You live better off 90% than you do 100%. Now try to figure that one out. But if you wait to try to figure that out, you'll never step into it, and God will never open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. I'm just, I'm just giving you these things. I don't, understand, I don't all understand all the ins and outs of healing. I don't understand all the ins and outs of spiritual language. And again, I'm just telling you because, I, you know, I've been through lots of school. I don't check my brain out at the door. But I can remember for years in this tongue stuff, I'd listen to people and go, Lord, how do you do this? Shabba-dabba-doo-da. And, and, and that just doesn't make sense. And the problem is you're always trying to, something to make sense up here, and this is what's keeping you from the miraculous realm. Jesus could have looked at the cross and said, I don't get it. This doesn't make sense to me. I think we could do this redemption thing a whole nother way. But the Bible says he obeyed. See, understanding does not produce a Christian. Obedience does. I've learned this for years. I've, I've been preaching for years. I've been preaching to some people for years. And I'm finding out it ain't helping any. Because they're waiting to understand. And if they just would embrace, then God would begin to move. In Matthew 7, I don't have time to read all this. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. I believe that was when I said that uh, that's the one where Jesus talked about that, that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, I mentioned it last week, will enter into the kingdom. For only those who do the will of my heavenly Father, only those who obey 
my heavenly Father. Jesus isn't looking for how smart you are or how gifted you are or how talented you are. He doesn't care about the letters behind your name. He isn't keeping a scorecard on your service or your suffering or whatever. He just looks for obedience. Some of the smartest people I know have some of the greatest obedience issues you'll find. I'm going to say this gently and kindly, but I'm just telling you, you, you get into certain educational realms, and, and those people will never see the miraculous because they're too busy figuring everything out. They've been taught to analyze and critique and synthesize to the place where they just can't, they just can't like a child any longer, and that's what Jesus said. Kingdom things, he says, works uh, like, uh, like a child, that they can't receive something at face value. It's always got to make sense to them. If it makes sense... I'll do it. If it doesn't make sense, uh, I'm not sure about it. I'm telling you, you'll never function in the kingdom of God. We attempt to train our kids, and we tell them to do or not do certain things, and their response is, why? That doesn't make sense. Well, sometimes you can reason with them, sometimes you can't, but obedience is still expected. I mean, how many of you have faced children, and you looked at them and said, go clean your room? Anybody besides me and my wife ever look at our kids and say, go clean your room? And I can tell you what they'll say, why? I'm the only one that goes in there. What do I care? You'll say, hang your clothes up. Why should I hang them up? I'm going to wear them two days from now. Isn't that true? You try to reason with your children about why they should clean up the room and try to reason with them when you're not having company. Why should I do that? Why, 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 why? And you finally reach the place as a parent where you pull out that famous phrase, because I said so. Do you know how many times God does that with us? We're, we're going, when the Lord says, you know, let's just say you've been a, you've been a tither, you've been a faithful, and then, and then God speaks to your heart and says, I want you to give this away. And you go, why? Because I'm asking you to give it away. Well, I guess I'll do it. Why? Do they need it? No, it doesn't matter whether they need it or not. I said for you to do this. Well, if they don't need it, why should I give it away? Are you following me? See, see when, we, when we say we'll pray about something, what we're really doing is oftentimes is we're reasoning through, seeing if it makes sense, and not seeking God and asking him, is this what you want me to do? It's interesting, in Luke 17, if you have your Bibles, Luke 17, verse 5. And again, Tracy's going Tracy's to come next week, and she's going to tell all these funny stories, and, and you're just going to laugh and feel good. And I'm here tonight just trying to give you all these concepts, and you're going, oh, Lord, I didn't know this is what I signed up for. Luke 17 and 5, it says this, and the apostles said to the Lord, listen to this, increase our faith. So, so the disciples are wanting to be increased in their faith. And uh, it's interesting that uh, in verse 11 it says, Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And, and uh, as he entered a certain village, there were ten men who were lepers, and they lifted up their voice. And when he saw them, he said, Go show, them, go show yourselves um, to the priests. And it's interesting here uh, in this particular passage is that faith and then obedience uh, is interlocked. Uh, greater faith is going to demand uh, greater obedience. And 
here, you know, they, they were asking for their faith to be increased. And uh, he says we're going to see some things in Jerusalem and in the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And they're going to have to obey all the way. And the Lord showed me that we're never going to take cities without interlocking faith and obedience. Faith and obedience together. Abel's faith was revealed by his obedience and his testimony, the scripture says, still speaks thousands of years later. Enoch's faith, which was manifested by obedience, caused him to walk with God and then to be taken and literally escape death. Noah's faith was evidenced by his obedience and salvation was provided for his family while condemning a world completely saturated with sin. We could go down the list of all of these particular people. Their obedience, their obedience opened up a door. Not their reasonings, but their obedience opened up a door with, which God met them at and was able to do uh, supernatural things. Now, I want to I finish with this and I'm all done. It says, I wrote these down, it's not in your notes. It says, Saul's story is tragic. And the reason it was tragic is because he did certain things. Remember, in 1 Samuel 13, he violated jurisdiction. He presumed on the Lord. He stepped into a position he had no right to step into. Then in chapter 15, he'd heard what God had asked of him, but he reasoned through it, and he decided he wasn't going to obey. And actually, at the end of that story, Samuel looks at him and says, "Uh, I tell you this day that the kingdom will be taken from you. Now, this is what's interesting. What's interesting is, is that from the moment Samuel said to Saul that from this moment on, the kingdom will be taken from you, it took 15 years. Now think about that for just a minute. It was 15 years from the moment of these disobediences to the moment when finally the kingdom was taken uh, from his authority. It took 15 years before that caught up with him. Now, this is what I want to share with you. And this is, what, this, is, this is a dot-connecting moment that many, many people don't get. You, you see, the reason it, for us it's so important, let's say with our kids, that when they do something wrong, that we bring immediate correction to them is because they can begin to connect the dot between what they did which was wrong and the correction which they're now receiving. Are you following me? I mean, we do that with animals too. I mean, I mean if, you're, if, you're, if your dog you know, messes in the house, and you can catch them quickly. Usually you have a pretty good opportunity to correct the animal, and, and they can begin to learn what they did was wrong. Well, you know, if, if, if they've, you know, made a mess in the house, and it's three, four days before you run across it, it really does you no good to show them because they aren't connecting the dot, right? You're following me. So, so I, this is the way I wish God would work. I wish if I did something wrong, or I wish if people did something wrong, that God would immediately move so that we could connect the dot, right? Let's just say you sinned, and an hour later, this hand comes out of the sky and goes, after a while, you would begin to say, wait a minute, that thing I did got that hand out of the sky to hit me. You would connect the dot, wouldn't you? But I'm going to tell you something. That's not always how God does it, because of course, time is not an issue to God. So, So Saul disobeys and 15 years later, can you imagine? Do you know how hard it would be to connect a 15-year-old dot? That there was something you did 15 years earlier that now the repercussion of it 
was coming to you. Think about that. Somebody looked you in the eye, Samuel looked you in the eye, and said to you, today I tell you, because of this act of disobedience, the kingdom will be ripped from your hand. Now, maybe he walked away, and at first he was like, wow, man, Samuel, wow. Man, maybe I should feel guilty about that, maybe. But imagine year one goes by and nothing happens. And year two goes by and nothing happens. And year three goes by and nothing happens. I I won't go to 15, but you know where I'm going. And by that time, you've forgotten. You've forgotten. But you need to understand that the Bible shows us here clearly that, that the correlation between that act of disobedience finally catches up with Saul. Listen to me, folks. I, I, I'm not saying this to be a downer because I'm the guy, listen, I would love to be able to bring you in here and give you the rah-rah speech, and there have been days that I've done that, and I'm glad when I get to do it, and I know you're glad when I get to do it. But there are moments we've got to get a hold of it that your disobedience today may not catch up with you tomorrow. And it may not catch up with you on day two or next week or next year. But we've got to begin to realize that our disobedience will have a repercussion. Now, this is why we've got to have hearts that are, that, are, that are soft towards God. Because truth of the matter is, if we, if we do things that are lawless, and if we do things that are in rebellion, and, 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 and we just simply go, whatever, and, and then we forget and go on, we don't understand that there still yet waits a cliff. Somewhere out there in the future. Saul slowly spirals down. Again, it took 15 years. And understand what the Bible calls Saul. He says he's in witchcraft. Now, he didn't see the witch until the very end of his life, but he was in witchcraft the moment he disobeyed. His insecurities ate him up. He became full of fear. He ended up murdering 85 priests at Nob. The Bible says he consulted psychics, he lost his mind, he lost battles, and at the end, he committed suicide. Now, that's a 15-year trek, but it started at the moment he decided he knew better, and he was going to do it his way. And if you live your life always having to understand, and you always have to have a reason, you will be forever lawless. I believe that. You say, well, when do you, pastor, ever have to? Hey, I, I, I've, got, I've got trigger points, too. I've had to press through issues, too. Uh, you'll be happy to know that there's not one of us that gets out of life without having moments when God comes to us somehow, some way, and looks at us and says, I need you to do this. Will you do it? And all he's looking for on our part is a yes. The key to happiness is not understanding. The key to happiness is obedience. Your mind will never be at peace until you learn what it means to obey. And I honestly believe that's where where the miraculous begins to come into our life. Now, next week, I'm going to stop here. Next week is going to be the lesson, and Tracy gets to teach it. I'm going to have to. I'm actually flying out of town on Tuesday, and I'm coming back late Wednesday uh, because I'm going to be having to meet with, with some pastors and we're strategizing about some national things that's really cool and I have to be away, but she gets the best lesson and that is, surely you don't mean me. <laughs> it's, the greatest, it's, it's, it's the greatest lesson, surely you don't mean me. But, it, but I'm telling you, it'll set you free. 
if you can get a hold of that. To this day, people, I've had people ask me, because years ago, I remember years ago, when I was going through an incredibly favorable time. Now, I've had years of challenge. In fact, most of you have seen the years of challenge. But there were some years of incredible favor, and I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that the reason there were years of incredible favor was because I remember I had reached the point where I said, I don't have to understand everything. If those who are authorities in my life look at me and they ask me something, and I, and, and, and I trust them, I trust them, I understand there's got to be trust. They aren't yanking me around. They aren't, they aren't trying to, to make me crash. How many of you know, I, listen, if it comes, I can tell you for Trace and myself, we're not trying to mess your life up. I, I, I mean, really, I, I want to see good things come to your life. I'll just share this with you. If, you. if God blesses you, I believe you'll be so obedient that you'll tithe and give offerings. The church is blessed. So, wouldn't I, so, I, so you know what I pray? I pray that God gives you raises and gives you better jobs and gives you favor in the marketplace. I want good things to come to your life because I'll tell you, when good things come to your life, I, I, I mean, they're, they're, life, I don't know, this is, I, I can't find a scripture for it, but it seems like life has its circles. And what, and what happens to you ultimately comes back. What a man soweth, that shall he also reap. But can I just share this with you, that if, if, if an authority in your life looks at you and, and you're convinced they really do care and they love you and they want the best for you and they're not trying to yank you around and they say, say something like, you know what, I would suggest that you would try and you don't pay attention to that. Then why are you surprised when you're suddenly standing on the cliff? Well, I don't know that that makes sense. I don't know that that fits into my plan. I can tell you I, the funniest stories. I've had people sit down and literally out of their mouth, they'll go, Pastor, I, I believe in you. I trust you. I want you to speak to me. If there's anything in my life you see that, 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 that I need to adjust or change, I'd really like to hear it. I'd really like to hear it from you. And I, I usually go, ah, no, I'm just, because they don't mean it. No, 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 no. I mean, I mean it. And I'm, I'm telling you a real conversation now. No, 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 no. I mean it. I mean, I really want your input. I really want your input. Is there anything? And I said, well, well, I guess if you're really, you really mean it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really mean it. I really mean it. You're not going to be mad. No, 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 no. I won't be mad. I won't be mad. You sure? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, maybe you consider this and this. No, I don't see that. I don't, I don't, I don't see that at all. And you wonder why God doesn't move in your life. You don't have to do anything, your authority says. You understand? They're, 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 this is, especially in church, church is completely volunteer. Any day you want, you can say, done here, I'm being led over here. Any day. But you've got to get to the place. If you don't hear me now, then listen to the one you go to one day. There's going to be a moment when you're going to have to hear God's voice. Some of you right now, you need to hear God's voice in what I'm saying. I'm not yanking you around. I'm not telling you to sell your car, your house. and I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm just saying, will you hear God's voice? 
in what God is trying to say through those who are in authority in your life. I'm telling you, some of you got bosses who you think are, is the antichrist. And yet God's voice will come through that on occasion. And you're missing it. Because you just got to understand instead of just obey. Some of you would find favor in your workplace if you just learned to obey without always having to be explained to and worked with and finessed. Well, we got to be careful how we implement this because you know anytime change comes to them, they're... Yeah, and now you know why we don't take cities. Because we've got the army of God is trying to take a vote on whether or not it's convenient this week. Amen. All right. I won't grab you anymore. All right. Holy Ghost, you do your work. Amen. Can you say I want to be obedient? Come on, I want to be obedient. I really do. I want to be obedient. Let's stand and let's just commit that to the Lord before we go. Amen. Amen and amen. Father, I thank you for every lesson that's come my way that you have drilled into me that has brought me to the place of obedience to the will of God. Lord, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your ways are perfect and they're always good and they always lead me to a right place. And Lord, I trust you explicitly. And not only do I trust you when you work with me directly, but Lord, I trust you in my circumstances that you are working for my good. You said in Romans 8, 28, that you will cause all things to work together for good to those who love you and are called according to a purpose. So, Lord, as long as I love you and I know that I'm called, there's nothing in my circumstances that can come my way, Lord, that you won't use in order to bring me to a better moment. Lord, I pray right now that you would begin to work that in this your people. Lord, I know many of the folks here on Wednesday have already received that, and for them it's really more of a reminder. For some it may be new territory, but I pray right now, Lord, that we would have hearts that would want to obey, that we wouldn't be looking to dodge the voice of God, but that we'd be looking to hear the voice of God, that we wouldn't be wise in our own eyes, and that we wouldn't always have to be reasoned with in order to get us to obey or move forward, but there would be a simplicity that would come to our hearts that would simply embrace the fact that, Lord, you spoke, whether you spoke to us in our prayer time or whether you spoke to us through a pastor, whether you spoke to us through our boss, whether you spoke to us wherever it may be, Lord, if you move through authority and you're speaking to us, that we could instantly say, yes, sir, you can count on me to obey. Lord, help us not to be of the order of King Saul, but, Lord, help us to be like the king of kings who was obedient, even to the point of death, because he knew you would raise him up. Lord, let it be said of us the same. Bless your people tonight, Lord. Lord, I pray, really, I do pray whenever I teach this. I ask that anything that, that said that was over the line or whatever the case, Lord, you let them forget it in Jesus' name. But, Lord, if there are things that I forgot that you need to put into hearts, Lord, reveal it to them right now so that we might have the pure word of God. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.